Hey guys, I'm Lena and I want to welcome you to this podcast. Uh, we check in every couple of weeks and get into God's Word and study it. And, you know, I've been thinking lately about why I don't cover like current event stuff on the podcast and pick, you know, sexy topics that people would want to hear about. But, you know, um, I've come to the conclusion lately that everybody's losing their minds. I mean, I can't even watch the news anymore. I feel like people have just gone off the deep end. And in fact, I stopped watching the news. And I, I figure at this point with the elections, it's only going to go from like bad to worse. And I don't want to get cynical about it. On the contrary, I want to be more hopeful. And I find that the only way that I can develop hope in this age is to fix my eyes on the Lord, to get in His Word, and remember why we're here on this earth. And I want everything that I do to kind of remind me of that. And so uh, as uh, you're going to be getting this podcast, I'm recording actually a couple weeks ahead of time. I, um, I've just been thinking about all the things that are happening in April in my life. I'm going to be traveling uh, first year in the United States to speak at a couple of different conferences. Then I'll be going to uh, Lebanon. I'm going to be doing a conference there. Um, we launched two of my books. So we translated into Arabic and should be out in print by now. And so the conference is kind of a launch of um, reaching out to singles. And uh, I'm pumped to give you some, you know, how things go when I come back. I hope I get some video when I'm there. I don't know how, what to expect, but I know that uh, God has opened doors that I didn't really think would ever be open. Also, by the time you get this podcast, my book, Resolved, will be out. And the subtitle for the book is 10 Ways to Stand Strong and Live What You Believe. And that's kind of what I'm talking about right now with the culture. I mean, I think we're living in a time like no other where if we're not serious about what we say we believe, then it's a the battle's lost. I mean... If we're just kind of casual Christians, or if we're Christians in word but not in deed, you know, we're not going to last the way things are going. I think there's no better time than now than to buckle down and really get serious about walking with the Lord and following Jesus. And so if you're a Christian listening to this, uh, I just want to urge you to um, to do that, to get serious, to resolve, to follow God no matter what, to resolve, to be in His Word no matter what. No more excuses, no more distractions, no more like things standing in the way and, and I'll get to it when I'm, you know, when my life slows down, when my kids leave the house, when I finish these ministries that I'm involved with. I mean, there's no time like right now uh, to get serious with God and say, Lord, what is it that you want from me today, right now? How should I spend the rest of my life? And um, I want us to treat every day like it's our last. Every day like, man, this is a chance for us to go all, you know, to go all out, to go big for God. And um, that is why, I mean, I do what I do, really. I, I want my days to count. I want to honor the Lord in everything I do. And for me, uh, a lot of what I do is in the ER as a doctor, but uh, a whole lot of what I do is uh, really in getting in God's Word and communicating it to you guys and just urging you to keep putting your hope in God. God is good. He loves us. He's for us. And we see it in every page of His Word. And so we're in Mark 10, and we've been studying this Gospel of Mark. There's a PDF discussion guide and question on, on my website, livingwithpower.org. Go under the menu tab that says uh, podcast, I think, and uh, the first, or I think under Bible study is where it is, and then the first tab says uh, Jesus is better than anything, or Jesus through the Gospel of Mark. Basically click on it and you'll get the, the, the outline for the lesson. So I want to walk us through six points uh, of today's lesson, which, I, which is in Mark 10. And I've called it the cost of getting better. The cost of getting better. The whole time we've been looking at Mark is about getting better. And we've, I think, established that the only way to get better is through Jesus Christ. And, 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 and he's awesome. And he's healer. And he's perfect. And he's good. And he's kind and compassionate. And he's a miracle-working God. And, and all these things we've seen about him. But, but here's the thing. There's a cost 
to getting better. There's a cost to giving your life to Jesus. And Jesus was very upfront about it. He said, listen, it's going to be well worth it. In fact, in the last lesson, I think we talked about in Mark 8, how his call to us can be summed up to this. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? This is amazing. I mean, he's like, look, guys, it's going to cost you everything. And we see it in Mark 10. I'm going to keep building on that. And so I want to give you six points that will entail the cost of getting better. The first point, then I'll read a few verses from the book. But the first point is this. It will cost you your preconceived idea of who God is and what he wants. See, we all come to the table thinking that we know God. We don't really do. We come to the table. I mean, I found myself guilty of that. I'll go to church thinking I know exactly what God wants. I'll open the Bible and know exactly what he's going to say to me on that day. I'll talk to other people and be so adamantly dogmatic about what God is and who he is and what he wants. And uh, so much like the religious leaders and the Pharisees in Mark 10. It says, uh, and he left there, Jesus left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And crowds gathered to him. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up and in order to test them asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? See, see, they're not interested in the answer. They think they know. They have a preconceived idea of what they think God's word is, what God's word means, what God's word will conclude. And, and, and so they, they're coming with an accusatory. They're trying to trip him up. And they say, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? So Jesus answers them, what did Moses command you? They said Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. Again, they're taking scripture to kind of justify their sins that they had committed. They're trying to make it fit their lifestyles. Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And by the way, I don't well, I do want to get controversial I think it's pretty clear what Jesus thinks about marriage, isn't it? At least it is to my ears. It says that from the beginning, God made the male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house of the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery Wow, wow. So many of us are easy to, to, like I just did, to kind of point fingers as at what the model of marriage should be. And yet so many Christians are just leaving their marriages without even looking back and, and, and just refusing to, to understand the heart of God in this matter. Yeah, there may be room to divorce in the area of sexual sin if there's been adultery, but, but that is not God's plan for marriage. God's plan for marriage is for a lifetime co- commitment, a covenant relationship that is symbolic of, of the relationship between, between Jesus Christ and the church. And so much that can be said here. But But I want to just kind of bring back your thoughts to... This cost, it will cost you your preconceived idea of who God is and what he wants. So it's time for us to clean our slate of expectations. We come to God with expectations based on what we think he wants and is and does. And we put ourselves ahead of what his word says. We take the things that make us comfortable, the things that we want, and we want God's word to submit to our desires. How wrong we are in this, how sinful we are. So we need to clean our slate of expectations. We need to clean our slate of misconstrued beliefs. And let God be the one who speaks the truth and us to submit our lives under his word and not the other way around. 
And so are we searching the scriptures with a desire to hear God's voice and a willingness to obey him no matter what he says, even if it's not something that we're comfortable with? Or are we so intent on our ways and our lifestyles? And are we so protective of our sinful decisions that we're twisting God's word to meet our needs rather than the other way around? So, so I want you to really think about that and ask the Spirit to apply this teaching in your life. And then here's a second cost. It will not just cost you your preconceived idea of who God is, but it will cost... And, and by the way, what that means is... where the cost is is that you're going to have to let go of what you think the Bible says you're going to have to let go of of the stance that you think you're so right in and uh, and so I pray that you are under some strong Bible honoring uh, teaching in your churches and in your community so Here's the second thing. It will cost you your pride. It will cost you your pride. So it says in verse 13, they were bringing children to him that he might touch them and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. And I think there's such humility and a letting go of pride. If you're, if Jesus is saying, be like the kids in that. And, and if you know anything about kids is they have this innocent desire to be with someone they love. And, and it takes a, a lack of pride to come to Jesus like a, like a child does. And the only way to do it is by God's power. And so let us ask him for the humility and the innocence and the willingness of a child. That is a good thing. We cannot come to God with facades. I've already spoken on this and this. So I, I don't want to say too much because I got six points and I want to finish uh, here today. So, mm, so that's that. I want to now get into this um, interaction between Jesus and the rich young ruler or the rich young man. And this is a story that's repeated in several of the Gospels, and you might be familiar with it. Uh, let me read the story, and then I'm going to give you the teaching point that I've made about the cost of getting better. So it says, as he was setting out on his journey, meaning Jesus, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. So the man says to Jesus, teacher, all these I've kept from my youth. He's like so proud of himself. I mean, don't you have, I mean, how can you be so arrogant to think that you're all that? But that's who he was, just being honest. And they really think he was a good guy. So Jesus looks at him, it says, Jesus looking at him loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Wow. I mean, it's easy to read this and think that this is about money. This is certainly about money, but it's about much, much more. I've made this teaching point here. We're talking about the cost of getting better, the cost of following Jesus with everything you have. It will cost you your preconceived idea of who God is and what he wants. It will cost you your pride, admitting that you're wrong in certain areas, admitting that you don't have the answers, that you need the Lord, that you can't pull off your life on your own. And then number three, it will cost you what you value the most. It will cost you what you value the most. This interaction with Jesus and the rich young ruler, the issue with the rich young ruler was that what he valued the most were his great possessions. And so for him, that was what was hardest to give up. For you, it might be your lifestyle. For you, it might be your dreams that you can't submit to God because he's not making them happen the way that you thought they should happen and you're holding out and you're angry at God and you're disappointed with God. For you, the most important thing may be your desire for marriage. Or for you, it might be your actual marriage. That might be the thing that is most important to you. For you, it might be your your job or your ministry reputation 
or, or, or the service that you're doing for God? What is it that you're like, I can't hang, let go of that because I want it more than anything. And it might even be a good thing, but if it's standing in the way of following Jesus with everything you have, then you're going to be missing out. See, Jesus is the treasure. He is the one that our hearts long for. He's the one that we need. And we will never be happy or satisfied until we let go of everything in our life and hang on to Him. And so I want to ask you, what is the one thing that you love more than anything? That you defend above all things. That you will die for. What is that cross on which you will just be like, I'm there. Like, I will not let that go. And I want to ask you, perhaps that has become an idol in your life. Perhaps it has taken over. If you feel like you cannot be happy unless God answers you in that area, then that is an idol in your life. It is competing for your worship of God. If, unless you can come to God and say, God, look, it's not my idea of what, how things should be, but I will submit myself to you, then you're going to be just like that man who, disheartened by the saying, will go away sorrowful and never really commit your life fully to Jesus. So Jesus looks around and said to his disciples how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. You might hear this verse and feel like, man, I'm not rich. I, that doesn't apply to me. Thank God for that. But do you know that we're all rich if we live here in the United States compared to people in other countries? We have so much. And, uh, and, and, and I'm telling you, materialism and the love of stuff. I, just today I was looking at the Twitter and I saw some Christian leaders that I look up to and respect. And the way that they live, I just felt sick about how we, we take such joy in the things of this world. And I thought, how are they not ashamed to write about these things? And, and yet as soon as I thought that thought, I thought, what is it in my life too that is just so that I just love so much that I'd be willing, not willing to let go of. And I felt such indictment of my soul, like such conviction, like God, before I point fingers at others, there's things in my life that I act like I need to eat a certain meal and travel to certain places and be a certain way. And may God forgive us that, that we let the riches become so important as we think we'll be happy if we have so much money. We think we'll be comfortable if we have the, the right house and the right you know, relationships and friends and whatever. And, and here's what Jesus says. He says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And you might be following Christ, a Christian, but come into some windfall and make a lot of money. And I'm telling you, if you're not careful, it will stand in the way of your relationship with the Lord. I believe that with all my heart, that God wants us to sacrifice, to give, to live beneath our needs, not to be like the world in that, but to be like him. And I think about how Jesus lived and the simplicity of this man. And, and I tell you, my dad died last summer. He was the example of that. I mean, he was the example of someone who could have lived grandiosely. I mean, he was a plastic surgeon. He made good money. But if you knew him, you'd never know. You'd never know. He was so simple. And uh, his example just spoke so much to me all the time because um, there's, there's such respect when you see someone who, who could flaunt it but doesn't. And, and I want to be like that. I want to be Christ-like. And... Um, Anyway, Jesus goes on to say, truly I say to you, there's no one who has left. Ah, I know, I'm coming to the next point then here. So so it will cost you your preconceived idea of who, who God is. It will cost you your pride. It will cost you what you value the most. And then uh, if you want to get better, it will cost you a new concept or perspective of sacrifice. My initial, the, the word I originally used was, it will cost you a new level of sacrifice. I like that. Let's stick to that. It will cost you a new level of sacrifice. So, So the disciples... Kind of are watching this whole interaction with the rich young ruler, and and uh, you know I think they're perplexed by Jesus and his ways. So, to, so maybe part of them also was like, you know, they were listening to Jesus. Maybe they felt that he was lecturing them. I don't know because Peter comes to him in verse twenty-eight and says, 
See, we've left everything and followed you. So maybe he just wanted to make the point to Jesus that here they were the good guys. You know, the, the rich young ruler had not made the decision to follow him, but here those guys were the good guys. And, and Jesus, it's funny, sometimes we think like we can impress God. and He's not easily impressed. You know, he, he expects nothing from us but failure, but he's given us equipped us with everything so that we don't fail. So he, he knows that on our own we're going to fail. He knows that we don't bring anything to the table. And so he says, here's my Holy Spirit. I've given the Holy Spirit to you. And now, you know, obviously this in the gospel, you know, they haven't gotten to that point yet, but Jesus is with them at that point. But after he died and resurrected, now we have the Holy Spirit living in us. And so God has equipped us to to, to be perfect, basically, as he is perfect. And so in verse uh, 29, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Many who are first will be last and the last first. It will cost you a new level of sacrifice. You say, what kind of new level? I mean, so the, so Peter is like, we've already sacrificed a lot. And Jesus is like, don't worry. You'll never give up too much for God. And then, I want to follow this thought up with these verses. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, uh, let's stop for a second. Uh, it's a, let me repeat that verse. This is an interesting verse. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. Have you ever gotten to a place in your walk with Jesus where you were afraid by the things that he's telling you? Do you know the kind of things that Jesus tells us in his word should make us afraid? They are scary. But like I said, he's given us his presence so that we don't have to be afraid. And so this is where, like, this is the secret that we have. He says, and taking the 12 again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him. And so, this, you know, the beauty, the secret, the strength that we have is that he's with us always. But, but listen to what he says to them. He, now he's warning them of the, res, of the death, upcoming death of him. And the resurrection, he says, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. Now, the disciples don't know what to do with this, but, but I want to uh, kind of go back to the point that I'm making. It will cost you a new level of sacrifice. Remember the setup. Peter says to Jesus, we've given you everything. Jesus comes back and says, look, you'll never give so much that you're, you, I'm gonna, you know, it's, it'll be worth it. It's gonna be worth it. Don't worry. But then he, it's like Jesus. I mean, the, maybe the disciples want to hear something like, "Well done, you guys are awesome. You have given everything. Way to go!" Bam. You feel good about yourselves. Everything's good. You move on. But no, Jesus challenges them, and he's like, "You think you've given a lot? Let me tell you. Let me tell you a new level of sacrifice." And now he describes to them how he's gonna be going to the cross to give his very life. And Jesus is like, "You want sacrifice? You think you've sacrificed?" It's going to even be harder. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be uh, servanthood. There's going to be so much pain, but there will be a resurrection. And, uh, and, and that level of sacrifice, I mean, only Jesus could carry, of course, on our behalf. And, you know, we, we're so impressed with ourselves when we think we've given to Jesus a lot. You might, it might be a check you've written. It might be a chunk of your time that you've given him. It might be a relationship that you've given up for him. It might be a dream that you've given up for him. And you might feel so, I know in my life, sometimes I feel so good about myself when I, when I kind of give to Jesus something. I'm like, look, I'm so spiritual. I'm so, even if no one knows about it, I feel like God's going to be so impressed with me. And, and yet, um, 
he's done so much more, hasn't he? He's given his own life for us. And uh, until we get to the place where we can gladly do, do the same and not look back and not count the, oh, look what I've done for Jesus, but just do it because it is the natural outflow of who we are. Um, I want that in my life. And by God's grace, this, this is not easy, but by God's grace, he'll give us the, the strength to do it. And so, so here's the fifth point. I've got two more points and I'll be done. It will cost you your idea of greatness. So we're talking about the cost of getting better. So now, again, the, the disciples are like kind of processing all this as you and I are right now. It says, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to them and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. You might think that's great faith. I mean, how many preachers today say, Ask God whatever you want. He'll give it to you. And, and, uh, and Jesus in, in turn says, What do you want me to do for you? They said, to Grant us to sit one at your right hand. And one of your left in, in your glory. And we read these words in 2016 and think, man, these guys are arrogant. And yet, isn't that what so many prosperity preachers ask us to do? Like, ask God for a great divine favor. And a great... Really? Really? Let's look at what Jesus says. And uh, he says to them, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am to be? I am baptized? You say, we're able. Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those to whom it has been prepared. And when the tent heard it, they began to be indulgent at James and John. Like we would be, right? <laughs> when we hear other speakers ask these things. I mean, which is what I just did. Like, it's kind of funny. Anyway, Jesus called to them, called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Now listen, here it is. But it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. This right here, this is what greatness is. It is humility. It is um, service. It, it is servanthood. It is saying, I will be a slave for all for the sake of Christ. So if you want to get better, if you want to be closer to the Lord and you know do the things that he wants you to do, it will cost you your idea of greatness. Whatever it is you think would make you great, a bigger platform, more followers, um, I don't know. I mean, you fill in the blank. I can't even think for you. But, but, um, but I'm telling you, what makes us great is with the willingness to suffer for Jesus and to become servants. And uh, uh, it's a whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be slave for all. That is it. We're, we, it, it, Jesus Himself came not to be served, but to serve. These are radical words, guys. I said I don't know if you've ever heard the message of Jesus, but this is a leader who's like calling for something so different than what we think a leader should be. He's saying about himself that he came to be not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And I hope you have given. Uh, your life to Jesus. I hope you understand that he has given his life for you. He paid the price so that you could be free. He shed his blood so that you wouldn't have to. And in his shedding of his blood and his death, we obtained life. That is the good news of the gospel. Here's the last point and I'll be done. Uh, it will cost you your complicated overanalysis. Stop overanalyzing, thinking, going about complicating your life, thinking about how you can manipulate God to give you what you want. Isn't that how we spend so much of our time? In the last few verses of this chapter, we see this uh, interaction between a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, along the roadside, and he's crying out to Jesus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. People are asked down to be quiet, and 
He yells it louder. Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said in verse 49, Call him. They called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. Throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. Look, look, we make our life so much more complicated than it needs to be. Jesus looks at the guy and says, what do you want me to do for you? And the man doesn't even blink. He says, help me see. Help me see. And may, may God give us the simplicity of coming to him with just one desire, and it is to see Jesus. And can you imagine your eyes open and the first person that you see is Jesus Christ, our Savior. What an awesome chapter. This is a really awesome chapter. I want to simplify what I want from God. I want to have one request and one alone. I think it was the psalmist who said that I that he would see Jesus, that he would be made in his likeness. And uh, uh, that's what I want. I want to have eyes that see him through the trials in my life, through the difficulties in my life, through the broken relationships in my life. I want to see Christ. When, when I have pain in my life, I want to see his wounds. When I have victories in my life, I want to be reminded of him victorious over death. When I have temptation in my life, I want to see Christ in the wilderness saying no to temptation and, quote, you know, resting in the word of God. I want to see Jesus when I go to work and run into people that get on my nerves. I want to see God, the creator of the universe, in them, they are made in his image. I want to see Jesus in every divine opportunity given to me in my busyness and in the chaos of my life. And when I turn the news on and I'm faced with the chaos of this world, I want to see Jesus. I want eyes to see clearly. I pray that that is what you want too. And so it will cost us to get better. It will cost us our pride, our preconceived ideas of who God is. It will cost us what we value the most. It will cost us a new level of sacrifice. It will cost us our ideas of greatness. And it will cost us our complicated over-analysis. And as we throw those things are at God, at the Lord, what he gives us is himself. And he is more than enough to meet all of our needs. So have a great week. We're at 25 minutes. I hope you uh, know that I am praying for you and that I'm here for you. Should you want to email me to pray for you specifically, lena at livingwithpower.org. Check out the website. A couple of websites, actually. There's a new one that is available now called IamResolved.org. I think you should um, check it out. It's awesome. And uh, this summer, I'm going to be doing a Resolved sort of a podcast series. So we'll be, we've got a few more lessons to go, I think, before uh, Mark is done. So next week, we'll be doing, or next couple of weeks, we'll be doing um, lesson nine. And so hold on to your horses. We are on the way. Have a great day. Be blessed. Take care.